0: Welcome to another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. Pat Poling here again with you this week. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to have these conversations every week. I appreciate all the great feedback we get. Feel free to shoot me an email with any questions you have. Pat at MaraPoling.com. M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com and I'll be happy to uh, respond. We have lots of great conversations with our listeners every week, so uh, please take advantage of that, and don't forget to drop by the learning center at marapolling.com, and take advantage of all the great webinars we have, uh, not only the ones we have coming up, which you can register for, but also the uh, sessions we've had previously, uh, recordings are posted there for your benefit. This week, we're going to talk about how you answer the question, should I sell? And by that, we're not talking about at the planned exit time, at the pro exit. We're talking about selling early, uh, taking advantage of an opportunistic sale. Again, you uh, just like last week's session, those of you that uh, were with us, and if you weren't, uh, please go back and take a look uh, where we discussed how to evaluate an acquisition. This session today is applicable if you're a residential investor and you own some residential multifamily property, single family, duplex, so on. It's also applicable, obviously, if you're an investor with someone like Mara Poling uh, or with us, right? Uh, many of our Uh, Investors listen. Hello, folks. Uh, Glad to have you on as always. So if you're an investor with a sponsor like Mara Polling, how do they make a decision on whether or not they accept a offer, an unsolicited offer, or whether they, or possibly do they go to market and attempt to exit earlier than the pro forma planned exit? What are the elements that go into making that decision. So I'm going to share with you our recipe for how we think about that today. And uh, hopefully there'll be some value in that for you. We're going to do a little bit of math. Uh, Don't worry, it's not math that you need to follow along with pencil and paper. So those of you that are in your cars commuting or at the gym working out or enjoying uh, some relaxing time in your recliner at home. Wherever you are, don't worry about having to run and get pad and paper. Uh, You'll be able to follow the math along. It's uh, a little conceptual, if you will, as opposed to uh, analytical, but it'll help you, I think, get the right idea. So we're gonna talk about four items that uh, we think about. These obviously aren't the only four things we take a look at, but it's the four things that came to mind when we started having this conversation and you might wonder, well, where did this topic come from? Why, why are we talking about should I sell as part of this series around how we achieve a total return? Security, stability, tax advantage, cash flow, and equity growth, those five elements. Well, the reason we're looking at it is part of how you execute all of that is to have a, a appropriate ex, exit plan developed when you do the acquisition to manage with that opportunity in mind and then when the time comes to execute that exit, which may be at the performa exit, that happens, I'd say the majority of the time, but an awful lot of the time, not quite half, but closing in on half, there are opportunities to exit prematurely prior to the pro uh, performa exit. The reason this is a topic today is one of the assets that we manage uh, that's part of our larger portfolio is in this process right now where we're, we're doing some evaluation on what we may or may not do with it. So uh, great opportunity for us to share some of that with you. If you would like more information, again, shoot me an email. Happy to talk with you in a little more detail about this. So let's dive in. Price. That seems pretty obvious to everyone, right? If you can sell for a price that is advantageous, that certainly seems like something you'd take a look at. A couple of thoughts that we have about price. A price that we would even begin to consider has to be more than what the asset's worth, which may strike some of you as odd. Well, who's gonna pay more than it's worth? That's a good question. I'm not sure who might be willing to do that. I can tell you this, there are people out there that will pay more than what we believe an asset is worth. If somebody is going to purchase an asset from us, if somebody wants to make an offer and buy an asset from us that is that we bought with a good strategy, that we're executing with a good strategy, and that we plan on exiting down the road, so that we're going to make money through that whole time frame, why would we want to sell it for what it's worth? That that's what it's worth. It's there's no gain involved there, uh, so there's there's not a lot of uh, intelligence in doing that the only time we think it makes sense to sell for what we would think the property is worth is at that pro forma exit, which might be at year. Generally, it's going to be at year five, maybe out to year seven. Somewhere in that window is typically where we structure ours. Now, the reason we structure ours that way is is primarily twofold. One, we use a uh, cost segregation strategy for depreciation. If you listen a few episodes back, you'll uh, you'll hear our conversation about that. That allows us to, relative to straight line depreciation, move a meaningful amount of depreciation in that first five to seven years. So by the time we get to year five to seven, we've taken a good amount of uh, depreciable value out of the asset. And if we hold longer than that, we're now getting into that period of time where the depreciation not only looks a little more like straight line, it's actually lower than straight line. Because again, remember we've moved some of that forward. So that's one of the reasons we would look to exit in that window. The other is, as we execute our value add strategy, we begin to build equity. So we go from, uh, and I've got an example sitting in front of me here, so I'm not just pulling numbers out of uh, thin air. So we're going from an initial equity position that might be something in the neighborhood of maybe 70% to where we're gonna be getting down to 50%, maybe even below 50%, we could be bordering on having a half a million, a million, a million and a half dollars in lazy equity sitting in an asset that's not doing anything. I don't believe that there is any greater security or stability in an asset if you're at 30% leverage versus 50% leverage. Now there's certainly a difference between being 60% levered and 80% levered, but I don't think there's a difference between 30 and 50. So 20 20 points of swing is a big deal if you're in the high end, it's not much of of an issue. And I think maybe a non-issue down below. So we don't wanna have a lot of lazy equity sitting there, which is why that five to seven year window exists. But if somebody comes along and wants to offer a, a price that's in line with those final numbers, you might want to take a look at it. So I'll give you an example. Purchase an asset for $8 million. And again, this would be uh, something we would do or, or maybe another sponsor that looks like us. So if you're talking to us uh, and you're looking at, well, how do you manage exits? You might ask about, have, have you had any exits that were prior to your Performa plan? And the answer for us would be absolutely. So, got an asset we purchased for eight million dollars. Our our plan hold period is like I said, maybe it's five to seven million. Pardon me, five to seven years, and we're looking at maybe about a fifteen million dollar exit. So, going to gain about seven million dollars over that period of time in appreciation. Remember, we're also going to get some equity growth from principal reduction, right? The nice people that live in those properties are paying our mortgage for us, which means our principal on the uh, notes is uh, decreasing. So maybe we're out in year three and our pro forma says the asset uh, should be worth about $12 million or something like that. And it's actually maybe performing a little better than planned. So maybe we think it's actually worth $13 million, something like that. And somebody comes along and says, we'd love to write you a check for $13 million. No, thanks. I don't need to do any more math. Don't need to look at anything. That's what I think it's worth. If magically, uh, if I didn't own this asset and I was trying to buy this asset myself, that's what I'd pay for it. So I already own it. Why would I go through the process of selling it to then turn around and, and try and find something that's in the same same space? So it needs to be a premium to that. Well, how much of a premium? Which takes us to the next uh, piece of the topic. And that is, in addition to price, the number that makes a little more sense to look at is the proceeds. What am I actually going to walk away with if I sell the asset? And this brings into play something that Uh, may not exist if you're in the residential space on the properties you own. If you're invested in assets that are commercial, commercial non-recourse debt assets, then there's going to be prepayment penalties or defeasance. That's the other term you'll hear used. What that means is when the loan was made up front, the very nice people that wrote, by the way, the biggest check that's part of that acquisition, unless you're uh, very, very lightly levered, they're going to write the bulk of the capital uh, investment. Those nice folks have planned on making a certain amount of money over the whole period of that note. If you want to pay it off early, they're more than happy to let you do that. They made that investment based on earning a certain amount of money over a certain period of time. And so you're going to have to pay part of that value to them, and there, if you looked at uh, uh, some of the notes, and I'd be happy, by the way, to show uh, you all some of that. Again, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, and we could do a little web session. I'd be happy to show you what some of the math looks like. Uh, I'm I'm not, I wasn't bad in algebra, and I'm obviously a pretty good finance guy. My head hurts trying to figure some of that uh, out. So there's, there's actually some calculators, and obviously the lenders have uh, complex tools to be able to help put those numbers together. Uh, but there's defeasance that has to be paid. So if if you bought it for $8 million and it's worth $13 and say somebody made an offer at $15 million, which is what you're going to hopefully sell it for at the end of your run, well, what am I going to walk away with today? Because $15 million today is different than $15 million later. And I'm not just talking about the time value of money. I'm talking about when you exit, you've got an exit plan that eliminates that defeasance issue because you've paid the note down. if you exit prematurely you're going to have defeasance so 15 million today isn't the same as 15 million later. you need to understand what the proceeds are going to be and so price may knock it out right away you might say no thanks not worth it. Proceeds may knock it out right the price on the surface might look yeah that might work do a little bit of math and eh, the proceeds aren't going to be significant enough to make it worth walking at this point in time and exiting, we'll just keep it and we'll move forward. What's the next piece that we would then look at? Well, that's performance. I already mentioned that this asset in the example I'm using is performing better than planned, which is why instead of it being worth the $12 million today that we had pro forma forecasted, it would be it's worth maybe 13 million. And again, these are all illustrative numbers. I'm not doing specific math here. This is just to help you get a sense of how it might work. Well, if it's worth 13 million today because the performance is better, what's that performance going to look like as we continue to go forward relative to the performa performance? And so I essentially want to update a performa. I want to go through and and put a new forecast together that says, you know, through year four and year five, and and if there's a year six or seven, again, that five to seven year window, what's the performance going to look like over time? Because... If I'm at 13 million today and my performance stays on that trend, I'm not exiting at 15. I might be exiting at 16 or 17 just based on current performance and the current trend. Well, gosh, if I can exit at 17 without any defeasance, now a $15 million offer really doesn't look terribly attractive from that standpoint. So it's putting it in some additional context. So I'm looking at the price. Looking at what the proceeds are that we may uh, receive if we uh, exit. Uh, I'm looking at the performance of the asset and updating my forecast. And then the other piece I've got to look at is this: is the original performa I had said I'm buying an asset for eight million dollars. Um, in our world, that means you're putting three million and change into the asset, purchasing the asset. Uh, little bit of closing costs, and then the improvement dollars that you'd put in. So something like uh, $3 million, $3 million and change. I'm getting my proceeds growing over time. And when I exit on the back end, I've not only generated a certain amount of cash. Inside our fund, our target's going to be 8%-ish. Uh, might be a little north of that, but let's say it's 8%. So you've you've hit maybe exceeded that 8% number, or that's that's your forecast. And you've got a, an exit that originally had you making, uh, you know, 10% equity growth or 12%, something like that. So you had a simple return in the high teens and you know, probably a mid-teens IRR or something like that. Well, uh, if I'm going to exit early, obviously, I'm not going to have achieved those numbers. I'm not going to have generated the same amount of cash that I would over five to seven years just through three years because I've got a few years I'm missing. But what you are gonna do is you're gonna take the proceeds and you're gonna go reinvest that in a new asset. And what's that asset's performance gonna be like? So you get the hold periods, if you will, kind of aligned so they're together. And then you're gonna be able to compare, if I stay in this asset going forward, what's my cash return gonna be like? What's my simple total return gonna be like? What's the IRR going to be? And then compare that to what's it look like if I did take this exit today? reinvested those dollars in a reasonable project, right? So not some home run, uh, that'll skew things. Again, I'm gonna go purchase a similar quality asset with, uh, you know, in a solid sub market with uh, reasonable competitive opportunities out there. Uh, It's gonna have its own exit plan that makes sense and it's gonna generate some decent returns. When I put all of that together then I'm going to get a essentially a compounded return because if I if I do accept that offer my 8 million dollar property that's worth 13 I might go purchase a 16 million dollar property or even a 17 million and that's going to cash flow much higher than that 8 million dollar property that I had purchased that had grown to be worth say 13 so that incremental cash flow and the incremental equity growth It's going to give me a different overall return profile that puts me in a position to then be able to compare what's the return. If I do execute a sale and then buy what we call a second generation asset, what's that combined return over that original hold period versus the original return for the asset that we're talking about just held for that period of time, there'll be a Delta, the, the execute the opportunistic sale and reinvest is going to have a higher return. How large that delta needs to be is an individual decision. Generally, we're gonna be looking to pick up about three years of performance. That's roughly what you'd wanna see, two to three years. Uh, So in other words, if you can generate the actual dollar value in uh, five years that you would have generated in seven or eight years, then you're in the range of potentially having it make sense. Now, you might look at all this that I've just walked through and say, well, this all sounds great. Why on earth would anybody want to buy an asset from you uh, for more than what it's worth and uh, you know, give away the, all this upside to you? And the answer to that is, in the uh, expression that that I've used uh, of uh, making money when you buy, making money when you operate and making money when you sell. When you go back to that purchase, if you're purchasing at a market cap rate, or a low market cap rate, so a cap rate that's actually lower than what the market is, which could be defined as overpaying for the asset, then it's going to be really difficult to be in a position where someone else is going to want to come along and pay you a premium for that asset. The assets that uh, that we're discussing and the one that brought this conversation about is an asset that was acquired uh, with a favorable variance to the market cap, meaning Uh, we got a deal on it, right? We were able to purchase that asset for less than what the market rate would have been. That's been baked into all of our return along the way. So there's some upside here because we did a good job up front and our execution of our improvement plan has been better than we originally forecasted. That puts us in a position where we're able to uh, have a higher value today for those two particular reasons. So it's not trying to find a... um, an individual that's going to make an unwise decision out there. There might be some of those floating around. People that make these kinds of investments are sharp folks. They're going to know how to do the math just like we do. They're going to make reasonable investments. What's a reasonable investment for them, though, may be an advantageous opportunity. For us. And as I said, this happens not quite half the time, but it happens fairly regularly that people will knock on the door and say, I like that asset. It's a good fit for a portfolio I'm putting together. I like what you've done with it. Let's have a conversation. Uh, I had someone just a couple of days ago give me a call and say, I was curious if this asset, they were familiar with an asset that we had in our uh, portfolio, I was curious if that asset was for sale. And, you know, a little tongue in cheek, but not necessarily. My response was, well, they're all for sale. Right? Uh, at any point in time, anybody's welcome to come up and make us an offer. And if the offer met the kind of criteria we've just walked through, we'd seriously consider it. Now, everything I just described is the initial cut that you'd want to take a look at. Then there's a, a much deeper dive that needs to be done to really flesh all this out. But I don't know how long we've been going here, 20 minutes or thereabouts. In this 20 minutes, we've covered the basic topics. An initial conversation with a uh, prospective buyer uh, could get you to this point relatively quickly, and that allows you to make a decision. Do you want to spend any more time on this? Is there value in it? Or is this just not worth it at this particular stage? And you don't want to waste their time. We certainly don't want to waste our time from that standpoint. I would love to uh, share more of what we do around these kinds of questions. Uh, we talked last week about evaluating an acquisition. This is uh, if you will, the tail end the back side of that um, process. Uh, podcasts are you know these are limited in in size right we We uh, appreciate that you give us twenty to thirty minutes of your week to uh, to join us and hopefully uh, benefit from the educational material we offer. Always happy to share uh, more and help you understand how we at Mara Polling do what we do. Maybe you're interested in writing a check, uh, joining us or joining somebody else's uh, investment uh, group and becoming a part of multifamily on the scale that we operate. Maybe you're looking at making an investment or already have some investments in some residential uh, multifamily. I'm happy to chat with you about that. Shoot me an email, pat at com. We've got some great interviews coming up, actually, in the next couple of weeks. So if you're not subscribed, uh, please click subscribe, whether you're listening to us on uh, iTunes or uh, Google Play, Alexa, Stitcher, uh, Buzzsprout, uh, all the different wonderful platforms that are out there. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our content. Shoot me an email if you have questions and would like to learn more. Don't forget about visiting the Learning Center. And we'll see you again next time on Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling.